Good morning to everyone here. Appreciate your presence with us and thank you for all your prayers for us over the last few days. Uh, I will just go ahead and give you an update there. Well, I guess not everybody got the email I sent out, so I'm going to I'll get rehearse a little bit of what went on there. Uh, Janet spent about, um, oh, I don't even remember, I haven't even forgotten now, how many days, a couple, two or three days, a couple of days in the ER, I guess it was, and then, and then about two days in the cardiac care unit, and then a day and a half or so in, out on the floor unit. So uh, anyway, it all started with um, just coming home with uh, flu-like symptoms, and, but a very severe abdominal pain. Because we thought, you know, the flu had gone through our house, and all the girls, by the way, have the ones that gotten the flu. None of the men have gotten it. So I don't know what that means. I have no clue, but that's just what happened. But uh, she thought for sure she was coming down with the flu as well because she had been around the grandkids and everything. And uh, But the, it was the severity of the pain that was out of order. All the other symptoms were similar to flu. So I went, I had a, the Christmas banquet for BIMI that Friday night and she had called and said to just stay there or go somewhere else and spend the night, but don't come home. She said, you don't need to get this flu. I said, well, I don't want it. So I started making plans and, uh, but then after I ate, I thought I just need to go home anyway. So I went home and I was, cause I was knew I was going to have to get my medicine and my clothes and all that stuff. And, and, uh, I was trying to spend the least amount of time in the bedroom where she was. I told my daughter, I said, spray it down with Lysol before I get there. And she took care of that. And, uh, <coughs> I got home and went in the, you know, check on her and get my stuff. And she was not feeling good then at all. And so there was nobody there though. So I said, well, my daughter, Jana, she was coming over with some things to give her, some Imodium and some stuff like that and, and for the upset stomach. And so I went out in the front room and just waited there. And while I was waiting, I could hear her moaning back there in the back bedroom. So I went back to see what was going on, and she was kind of rolling around on the bed. Just said the pain was so bad, she didn't think she could make it through the night with that. She's going to have to get something to help her. And, um, of course, she's she's a tough cookie. If she's down that far, you know she's hurting. And so about just a few minutes later, Jana came. And if – how many have really gotten to know Jana very well yet? Not that well, right? When she comes, I just step aside. She takes over. <laughs> Jana came in and started asking questions, and she said, well, Mom, you've got two choices here. You can either take the Imodium or you can go to the ER. So she said, I'll take the Imodium. I'm still out in the front room, by the way. And so she took the Imodium, but it, it only helped for a short time, and the pain was back. So said, well, okay, now we're going to go to the ER. So off they went. They said, you stay home. We'll, we'll, she just figured, well, we're going to go get some pain medicine. All she wanted was just something to take care of the pain. She said, I can deal with the nausea. Just get rid of that pain. It was so bad. Well, she decided that's how she ended up going to uh, Memorial, even though she works at, e uh, at Erlanger. She figured Friday night, it'd be three or four hours maybe before I get in to see a doctor. So I go to 
uh, memorial should be a little bit faster. Well, it was. She got in there, and, and the triage nurse took her in with a, in about five minutes, took her blood pressure on one arm, saw it was so low, she put it on the other arm just to see if she got it right, and it was, so she wheeled her in right away uh, and got her a room in the ER. The doc, I guess it was shortly after that then Seth arrived, and uh, so they had two nurses there with her, and uh, they started, uh, I don't know what they did after that. I probably should have Seth come up and tell us because I'm telling it the best I know. But uh, I guess they just started checking everything out and seeing what they could do and gave her fluids and, you know, whatever, and, and started to feel somewhat better, but not a whole lot. And because they couldn't find anything wrong particularly, well, they decided they would go ahead and discharge her and send her home. So the nurse had come in to, uh, with the discharge papers to take the IV out and <coughs> noticed that her blood pressure was extra low. So I get the nurse then asked if it had been that way for very long. And I don't know if it was she told her or did you tell them? Yeah, Seth and Jana told them, well, it's been that way ever since she got here. By that time, it was 1.30 in the morning. Because Jana had sent me a text message, which I didn't get till the next morning because I slept right through everything, uh, that said we're getting ready to come home and, um, you know, they're getting ready to discharge her and all that sort of thing. Well, I woke up at 5.30 when she sent another text that said that she was just now leaving the ER and they had decided to keep mom there for a while. And and uh, I don't remember what all that one said. But anyway, I called her right back and she told me what had gone on. And that was that um, uh, in keeping her there, they couldn't get the blood pressure taken care of. And so in calling her primary care physician, who was, of course, not there on the weekend, so they got the guy on call, but it turned out it was a good call because he figured it out right away that it was uh, adrenal, adrenal, said she might be in adrenal insufficiency, which is uh, a serious enough matter the way it is, but it has to do with your steroids that your adrenal gland produces. And um, she had, the week before that now, because of her asthma and all that, was back on steroids again, prednisone. And then if you've had that, drug, you know that you have to come off of it gradually, you know, slow 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, and all that sort of thing. She had just just finished that little episode there when all this started. Well, uh, they started giving her steroids, and um, and uh, she started feeling better, and that was first real immediate relief she had, And but when her, I think it was Monday morning, um, can't remember now for sure, but I think it was Monday morning when Dr. Newman came in, or was it Dr. Drennan when he came in, said that if you wouldn't have come in, Dr. Newman, okay, when he came in, he said if you wouldn't have come into the ER, you would have died at home. You just wouldn't have, you wouldn't have made it because it was, and then it, I think they changed the um, diagnosis to adrenal crisis, which I think, as far as I can understand now, and I've been able to discern here, I've been means you're not producing any steroids that your body produces naturally. Well, that just threw all her stuff off, so far off kilter. You know, her liver enzymes were up, her hemoglobin was down, and I'm not sure what else was off, but I know those two. And so she stayed. He ordered to have bed rest. He said, I don't even want you getting out of the bed to go to the bathroom. She had to use the bedpan. She didn't like that at all. But she got to stay in bed for 
couple days, moved her to cardiac care unit where they could monitor her, and then finally, when the blood pressure got stabilized, because it took a while, took two, see, that was Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, I guess it was Sunday or afternoon or Monday, I don't remember now when they moved her to, uh, Sunday, I guess, when they moved her to cardiac care, and they kept continued to monitor her blood pressure because it kept going, you know, up and down uh, till they finally were leveled out, and then they moved her out to the floor and got a regular room and and started feeling a lot better. And she told me, you know, she mentioned several times that the nausea was completely gone, but when she got home, you know, it, it's not totally gone. Every time she eats, she says she can get feel the nausea coming back and. And, of course, she's having to take other supplements, um, potassium, I know. And then what was the other one, Seth? Something? And magnesium, yeah. She's taking magnesium and that just, you know, all that kind of stuff was just, you know, kind of blown out of balance. And I, as far as I can see, it must be take several days for this all to get back together here because it, she's still not feeling very well. I mean, most of the time in bed. And... Um, which is where she needs to be right now anyway, getting some rest. But uh, she goes in to see the doctor tomorrow, tomorrow morning, so or tomorrow anyway. So remember that if you would, please. Oh, then I forgot to mention on Tuesday I went to the doctor for the, for the echo. Went to the echogram on Tuesday on my heart to see where the blood clot deal was. Well, the nurse that takes or that does that, she um, she called in because she had had a blood clot and she was in bed rest for 12 days and she wasn't going to be in until the next day, so they had to reschedule me. But anyway, I went in. She checked me all out and said, "Well, I'm going to inject you with this stuff, you know, so I can get a little better picture." Um, and boy, it did. I was laying there watching it with her, and it was just, "Ooh, what a picture of your heart!" Seeing all that stuff going on in there. Of course, I couldn't, I couldn't diagnose one cent of it, you know, but I, it was fun to watch. And it was fun to keep it right, go right on beating, too. Uh, but anyway, uh, I asked her specifically about the blood clot. I wanted her to tell me something. And she said, well, I see something right here that looks like it's still on the wall right up there. And she looked for a while longer. And finally, she said, well, I'm going to get another person in here to look at this. I don't trust my own eyes always. So she brought this other gal in. And she looked at it, and she said, well, that looks good. She said, I don't see any blood clot there. Of course, she said thrombosis, but I knew what she meant. And then she used some word that sounded about, about this long, and I had no clue what that was. Uh, <clears throat> but I said, I don't care. You already said the good words, and, I, and that was all that counted to me. But then I waited till I saw my cardiologist on Friday to confirm it. And so he said, I, I can t- quit taking Coumadin, which is – a major step for me. I, I was so glad to get off of that stuff. So I'm off of Coumadin now, and I have no blood clot. So I'm glad for that. Okay, a couple other things here I'll mention. We got a thank you card. I don't suppose we, things have happened so fast and we're so quick, nobody even knows it. Not even Joy. She said she read this card and thought, "What's this all about?" From Ken and Nancy Guth. Huh? Yeah. Well, the card says, Nance and I want to express our thanks for your generous Christmas gift of $100 
That was un- an unexpected blessing for which we are grateful. It will come in handy at this time of the year and with circumstances as they are. We appreciate your friendship, prayers, and support as we endure to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless and have a safe and joyous holiday season in his service, Ken and Nancy Guth. Well, the way that story unfolded was uh, I, 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 I knew that, see, by working at BIMI, I know that lots of churches will send an extra Christmas gift to their missionaries around well, usually in the month of November, because if you send it in November, see, there's the statement closes at the end of the month, and then their money goes to them, and they get it in the month of December. So if you send it in December, they're not going to get it till January. Well, if you believe it, and you, I know you will, I thought of it on the very last day when we were going to have closeout. So I called Harris and got his opinion on the matter, and he said, sounds like a good idea to me. So I had him transfer some money out of my account and put it in theirs and said it was a Christmas gift from Community Baptist Church. And um, then Ben, following Sunday, we voted, <laughs> the men met, and we said, oh, they all said it was a good idea, so they agreed. And so we said, we're going to give Shirley $100 also as an extra Christmas gift at this time of the year. So that's why Joy didn't know what that was all about when she read it. <laughs> And then if, if anybody, I got one extra prayer card here, um, the Bibles for Neas Project. If, you know, Brother Brooks is asking us to pray specifically during the month of Oct- or October. Where did that come from? January. While the Bible distribution project is going on, and he had this little prayer card printed up, all the money has come in. You should have seen him the day he came in the office. Man, I mean, he was like walking about that high there, you know. Uh, that All the money, he was worried for a while. He said uh, he just didn't know for sure, but God sent it all in. They got all the Bibles or published, and all they got to do now is go in January and, and make the distribution. It will be a difficult trip. It's farther up in the mountains than they went before. And the last time he went, he passed out. Uh, because of dehydration and I'm not forget, forget what else, but it was a pretty strenuous trip. So he was a little more concerned about this one. So now he's now he says, "I think I want you to pray for me." So uh, he's asking for prayer, and I've got I can get more of these, by the way. I just didn't think to bring them, and I handed some out a couple weeks ago. So anyway, I wanted to mention that. Okay, yes, ma'am. Pardon. We can do that. Well, I've got another week before January gets here, so I, I can bring some more in. He had a pretty good stack of them. And he said, if you need more, I can get I can get them for you. So I'll, I'll bring more in. I just, it's here. <laughs> Remembering to do it. Okay. Well, we got through all of that. Well, Jerry read my verses this morning, except for one. He didn't, he didn't go on down to verse 20 and read that one, so... I want us to go to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to continue reading from verse 20 down through verse 35. I knew it was going to take extra long to share all these things with Janet and um, get get you caught up on that. So I'm going to share just a few things out of this chapter that have caught my eye and um, I think might be a blessing to you, you know, this we read these verses, I we do in our family, I mean, we try to read these every Christmas, and if you aren't careful, you know, they just just get to be words again, and a nice little story, 
that warms our heart to help us remember, you know, why we're celebrating Christmas. But there's a lot of very valuable, important truths located there. So let's begin with verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told unto them, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a word shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, this is an awesome chapter and tells us a great deal. It gives us a lot of information about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's just a lot of things in here that should and I hope will grab our hearts, you know, not just because it's the Christmas season, not just because we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but because of what it does for us in respect to our faith and how we hold before us in our hearts the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. In these first several verses here, <coughs> which we read, which Jerry read, he tells us there, beginning in verse uh, eight, it says, "And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night." And then the angel of the Lord came and shone about them. Verse 10, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then beginning in verse 11, For for unto you is born this day in the city of David uh, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and so on, and makes all this announcement. In verse 14, he said, uh, This heavenly multitude... Host said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In verse 15, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. Now that was, this is one thought that I wanted to look at here. 
as the angels departed from those shepherds. And of course, I think it's of great value to try to set the scene for us as these shepherds out in the fields around the little village of Bethlehem watching over their flocks at night. It says abiding in the fields. That that word abiding there just means something like camping out. They didn't live there. It was a temporary abode for them to be out in the fields. But they were watching over their, their flock, the lowliest of the low in Israel as far as Jewish people were concerned. And it was to them that God gave the message and chose to reveal what was happening at that moment in all of Israel. If you think about that, I heard somebody on the radio mention this past week, you know, how many villages there must have been in Judea. And we even heard Jerry, and I missed, of course, last week, but the point that a prophecy was made to the exact city, and not just the exact city, but the exact Bethlehem, because there was more than one in which the Messiah would be born. And in that little city, there there was, you know, there, I mean, in Judea, there was several hundreds and maybe a few thousand cities because or we call them cities, but in actuality, they were just little tiny villages, many of them having maybe 200, 300 residents in them. And when you would walk from one village to another, it would be a relatively short distance. Most of those, well, I don't know if I should say most or not, some were walled cities, a good many were not. Some had you know, protection, others didn't. And so when you would flee to a city, you would flee to a walled city because that's where you were wanting protection. And it was here that God chose to reveal about the birth of his son. And not only that, then, in the city of Bethlehem, again, which was a very, in that day, was a very small village, there was a, a manger, whether it was in a barn or whether it was in a cave. It was very, <clears throat> very humble surroundings. I've often thought of things like if Jesus were coming today, if he was going to be born today, and, he was, and God had chosen Chattanooga, <clears throat> what section do you think he would have chosen? Do you think he would have chosen any place where we live? Likelihood is very small, isn't it? (laughs) Very small. He chose very carefully where he was going to allow his son to be born and to what humble surroundings would be evident in his birth. And when we come to celebrate Christmas, see, for us it's happy, joyous, gift-giving, and all these sorts of things. But in the day that this actually happened, it was not a fun time. When you had Roman rule over you and you had to guard your every step, there was thievery on every hand, there was demon possession like you wouldn't believe, and you would because you read the life of Christ, you see how many times that was an issue in his life where he manifest himself by delivering demons. 
it, it was not a pretty sight, to put it bluntly. And yet, today, that holiday has been, and I say holiday in, in, in the sense that it's a day that we observe, it has been completely changed around. You know, we decorate our houses and all those sorts of things, but we have to be really, really careful because it can get away from us so easily, so easily of what God did on that day that his son was born. On that day, these angels appeared to these shepherds out in the fields. And they said to them in verse 15, it says there, when the angels were gone away, Now, in these previous verses that were read, I mean, wow. The angel of the Lord came and said, you know, there is born unto you this day in verse 11 in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I mean, just for an angel to appear. You remember that there had been about 400 years here when there had been no revelation from God. With the close of the book of Malachi and the coming of the Messiah. And this birth. And so here was this angelic appearance. And of all people, not to the high priests, not to the Levites, but to shepherds. I'm trying to think here, what in the world do you think was going through their minds after the angels had left? I mean, after all, it does say that there was... um, um, an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, we've got some great Christmas music with those words there. You wonder what it must have been like. How did the announcement come? Was it a loud, thunderous uh, multitude of voices announcing this? That's what it sounds like here, doesn't it? So when those angels left and returned to heaven... They were out in the fields where it was mighty, mighty dark. A starry sky, one that we, they all, quiet. What did they do? How would you react? Well, that verse tells us that they, in essence, they believed the word of the angel. And they left. They said, let's go into Jerusalem and see this thing that has come to pass. So they packed up. How in the world they took care of the sheep? I don't know. But they left. Went into Jerusalem. Or Jerusalem. Bethlehem. And in verse 16, it says, They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, you know it had to be a small village uh, to, for them to find them. And there he was, lying in a a feeding trough. Well, shepherds could relate to that quite easily, couldn't they? They knew what that was about. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So not only did they believe this word, but they went out and gave witness to it. And they began to spread the news and tell everybody. Uh, some translations have, they made it widely known. 
concerning what had happened. Then all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds then returned. And what was the last thing the shepherds did? They were glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And I would like to think we could term this worship. They believed his word, first of all. And you notice the pattern there. You believe his word. They shared what they had heard, gave witness to it, and then they worshiped the Lord. They knew something significant had happened here. And you think about that. In their minds, not the religious leaders of Israel, not the, as we would call them, the top dogs or the top brass, those in the know, but the lowly shepherds of Israel received the announcement that the Messiah had come. And they believed it immediately. And they went to see this thing that had come to pass. Now you stop and think about the position of shepherds being, first of all, the lowliest of the low amongst the Jewish people. But secondly, they had knowledge. They knew about God's promise of a Messiah. And when he announced it to them, they knew exactly what he was saying. When these, this angel of the Lord told them, there was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Messiah, the Lord, they knew exactly what he was announcing. And so they wanted to go see this. They took visible witness that there was a baby lying in a manger just as it had been told them. And so they immediately went out and gave witness to it. Now, can you imagine the lowliest of the low going out through the village of Bethlehem and wherever they went announcing the Messiah has come. He's over here in a manger with Mary and Joseph. How believable of a story would that be? And yet that is the manner in which God chose to reveal to Israel his son and to make the message known. I mean, that wasn't the entire thing, of course, that was the, but that was the humble beginnings of that message. The Messiah has arrived. Well, if we continue on then... <coughs> It says, eight days were accomplished for circumcision. And then in verse 22, when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And Bethlehem and Jerusalem are not that far away. I forget, just a couple of miles, I think, or three. You remember, Seth? Two or three miles? Something like that? Not, not a long journey. And you take... Eight days later, when he was circumcised, add to that another 33 days were the days of purification when a woman had a male child, according to the law. That makes it about 41 days later. 
a little over a month later, they're making their way up to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice that was required. A lamb, or it says, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. In verse 24. And so they went. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a just and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Again, here now was a religious leader. And to this man, who was a just and devout man, and he was looking for the Messiah, waiting for it to come after all these hundreds of years from the time it had been prophesied that he would come, Hundreds of years later, he's still waiting in his lifetime, but he believed in the promise that God had given. In verse 26, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death till he should see the Lord's Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, in verse 28, then took he uh, him uh, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. So the shepherds believed the word. Simeon believed the word. And he believed what he had held in his arms or what he's about to hold in his arms here. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. I think that's an important phrase there. All people. And just kind of hold that thought there for a minute. But in verse 32, he says, he is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. It's their common word, laos, for people. Laity, as we would say it. In, in religious circles. And so in verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. The word fall means just what it says, a fall, a coming down. And the word rising again, as we've been studying on Wednesday night with Mike, it's the word for resurrection. Anastasia, a standing up. It will, this child here, he says, Simeon says, will be for the fall and the rising up again of many people. But notice the contrast there when he says in verse 31, thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. But down here, he says, he's only going to be for the fall and rising again of many people. Not everyone will get to experience that privilege of rising again. Now you say, well, I thought everybody was going to be resurrected. They are. But if you follow the context, see, in which this whole 
message is being presented to us and how it's the Messiah who is being revealed. And if we understand the hope of Israel, just like Simeon here, their hope was to be a participant in the coming of the Messiah and his rule over the earth. They look forward in anticipation with that hope that one day they could be a part of that. And so consequently, part and parcel of having a hope in that means they would have to be resurrected. And Simeon assures Mary and those with her that this child right here, this one that you hold here in your arms, well, I guess he still had Jesus in his arms at that point, this child right here is going to be the one. He will bring about the fall of many, and the rising again of many. And so for that one who holds hope in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that one who has faith in this child, born on we call Christmas Day, he's the one who is the fulfillment of our hope. He is the guarantee that in that day, those who believe in him will be standing up again one day. They'll be resurrected. And then he goes on to tell us, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. <coughs> that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And that word revealed there, that's the same word you use for the book of Revelation. Revealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the uncovering, the unveiling. Many hearts, he says here, will be unveiled. Where do you think that will take place? At the judgment seat of Christ. Where our hearts will be unveiled. And all that we've ever carried there in our hearts will, will be known. And revealed. And it's then at that time that those many will experience the enter into thou, uh, enter into, or well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy and experience the blessings of Christ's rule over the earth. They will be there to share in that coming rule. One other thing I wanted to point out here, and I, I can't tell you this is any earth-shaking thought here, but I just thought it was interesting here, how that during the first two chapters, there are seven, seven key players mentioned here. Now, there's more names mentioned than that, but seven key players regarding the birth of Christ that are mentioned. And you have Zacharias in chapter 1, verse 5, and Elizabeth. In verse 27, you have Joseph and Mary. <coughs> then over in chapter 2, you have Simeon. In verse 25, in verse 36, you have Anna. And then beginning at chapter 3, in verse 2, you have John, which we would more familiar, familiarly know as John the Baptist. But if you look at chap, or verse 1 of chapter 3, 
We find seven other names mentioned there. Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Annas, and Caiaphas. And we would all recognize these as the various rulers. Of course, Caesar was the ruler over all of Rome, the known inhabited world at that time. And these others were (coughs) governors or rulers over various uh, sections or districts of the, well, particularly here, the area where Christ was born in the Middle East and in the land of, of Israel. And so I think one of the lessons we can garner from this is that you look at all those names that we that, that were, were that are associated with the birth of Christ and how insignificant those people were. And then you look at the most prominent names that you can imagine, and included in that, in verse 2, are the religious leaders, the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. And these were the ones who rejected the Lord, who caused him more trouble and suffering throughout his entire ministry than anybody else. So I think it's good for us to to remember that. When we think about political leaders today and religious leaders today, who it is, in all likelihood, that God is going to reveal his special things to, things concerning his son. And all of that corresponds exactly with what Paul said. When he said, God has given the foolish things. The special things that are God's. The lowly. The unknowns. Not to the famous evangelists and pastors and preachers around the world and those who hold high office and religious organizations and so on. But just to the ordinary people. I hope that that will be something you can take with you to treasure in your heart. When you you walk out these doors and you look at all that's going on around us throughout this city, throughout the entire country, regarding the Christmas season, retailers are so worried about whether they're going to make it through the year and be financially sound and so on. And they've got all kinds of other things on their minds. Yes, even even Christians. You know, what I'm trying to say here is that I'm not saying they've all forgotten about Jesus. They go to church. They sing all the songs we sing. They hear messages. They know that Christ is the one that was born on Christmas Day. They know he's the Savior, the Messiah. But did they know him? Do they know the Lord? And it is to those who are of lowly heart, like the shepherds out in the field, to whom God has chosen to reveal these things. And so when we come to his word, 
I want to challenge you to read it believing what you read. And watch what God will do in your heart. The choice things that he will do when he ministers to you in the quiet place. And it will be a joy and a treasure to you that you will you'll never forget. It will encourage you. It will help you to hold your faith steady. And that's what I, that's what I want to do. I'm trying to hold my faith steady through all these rocky steps. And hold the course. And it's a simple thing like the birth of Christ that's helping me to do that. It's not all these, you know, not necessarily all the other doctrines, you know, over there in the rest of the New Testament. But the simple promise that God gave 600 years ago, was it you said? 800 800 years prior, it was announced that this was going to happen. And then it finally did. Folks, it's also been told to us that Messiah is going to come. He's going to establish his rule over this earth. Don't grow weary in waiting for it to happen because it's going to happen. And if you can walk away with anything to give you courage and strength in your heart, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come again. He is going to put down all of his enemies. He is going to rule this earth in righteousness. He is going to bring in peace. And he is going to fulfill his promise of all that he said he would do to those who have willingly followed him. Let's stand strong today during this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people, to have a a place where we can meet and, and enjoy the fellowship of one another's company, to know, as Bo mentioned, that we have such a commonality with our faith and how it draws us together and just the amazing warmth that it brings to shake the hand or receive a hug from a fellow brother or sister in Christ and to know that we're believing the the very things that you taught us to believe. And I pray, God, that you will help us to stand strong in days like these when so much is going on in the world to draw us away. I pray, God, that our hearts will be tuned to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.